0: Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia
1: Cruel Dubai. Delighted to say that I am rejoined here on Luck on Sunday because he came in once last season by a man who I I wanted to delve deeper into because he's has such a, an interesting life and, and story. He started off as a, a general practitioner after graduating from Cambridge and turned his attention to a very successful healthcare business from which he was chief executive for many years. He is now stepped slightly sideways to be chairman of that company, which has afforded him more time to train racehorses. And why not? Because what began as a hobby, and very much a hobby, training just a dozen horses or so, has now burgeoned. Not to the extent that he's got 100, 100 plus horses, (coughs) maybe 40 or 50. He's clearing his throat. But... He's a modest man, he, he may as well. He is currently lying second in the Trainers' Championship. He is, of course, Dr Richard Newland. Uh, Richard, good morning. Nick, good morning to you too. And I, I said it did genuinely
0: start as a hobby, this, didn't it? Absolutely it did. Absolutely it did. It's just a complete passion. I was just a racing nut. Uh, at a, a young age, about 18, 19, got into racing, started going to Cheltenham and so on, and uh, got very, very interested in, in the form and so on. And I didn't, even, I didn't ride, I wasn't horsey. My wife uh, made me touch a horse for the first time, when we, you know, <laughs> literally. And then I learnt to ride with her and learnt to, with my children growing up. And then after a while, I, you know, when you could afford it, started owning bits of horses. And uh, eventually we, we, we had some stables and some land, and I said, I'd love to have a go at this training business, see if we could... Just get, the idea was to get a permit. Mm. Trained three or four horses, which is how we started in 2006. Um, and funny enough, that to be- get the permit is... Uh, extremely difficult. We've got a lot of steps to do, which is why it's easier for people, for example, if you do point-to-pointing, anyone can just do point-to-pointing an yeah. amateur. But if you want to do it under, it under rules, which is really what I wanted to do, that you, you have to get to all the steps, you've got to have the approved facilities, you had to, had to go on the new market courses, um, you had to, get, had to get an MBQ3 in race or stable management, and quite a lot of investment, obviously, which you couldn't really justify for three or four horses. But the irony is that the, the step to move from three or four of your own to training 150 is really easy it, cause, because you'll be regulated really to the same level for three or four horses as you yeah. are if you have 200. So I, what happened is we had great success in that first season and I just changed the license or applied to change the license to a full license from a permit uh, because, because at, at that stage, my cousin Chris, who's uh, been a great supporter, and we're close, and I couldn't actually even as a permit, you could only train for you know your immediate family. You couldn't I? Couldn't even train one in his name? So um, we made that change, and then obviously we just gradually built it up over the years, and fortunate to have good success.
1: And everyone always says. Yeah, Dr. Newland started off as a GP, etc., turned, to, turned to, to training. It wasn't quite as straightforward as that, was it? It was a good story when you won the Grand National. It was GP trains winner of Grand National. But it, it, it,
0: the transition has been more complex than that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, is, it, is, it is quite a journey. In fact, I was a full-time general practitioner. Yeah. But I'd already changed uh, to running, getting involved in the commercial side of healthcare. I've always worked in healthcare, um, but I've been involved in setting up a number of healthcare businesses. So I was doing less and less doctoring independently of the training, so which, which gave me more time because if, if you're in, if you were, if I was you know trying to do it around GP surgeries, that'd be pretty tough, I think. Did you enjoy being a GP? Yeah, yeah, I did. I wasn't I wasn't unhappy at all uh, doing it. I mean, you a lot of my friends now who oh I've still got see lots of medical friends, uh, and um, quite a few of them have had enough and are planning their retirements and so on. I. I, I um, enjoyed it but I also enjoyed moving on to do different things as well Uh, and I suppose my forte has been sort of in the in the more commercial side setting things up, setting businesses up and with teams of people and so on.
1: Because Am I right you had an idea when you were a GP you realized there was a deficiency in the in the nursing home sector essentially in the care home sector and people making difficult decisions about where their loved ones would would go if they needed to 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 have full time residential care.
0: Yeah, I was well I suppose CHS Healthcare which is where I'm I'm chairman of now which is my sort of I guess biggest biggest business, although I've been involved in other things too, um, set it up with one person yeah. in uh, 2006 to help people choose nursing homes and, and care homes and so on. Uh, we employ over 300 today. And um, you know, um, I've, we have an investor who bought a third of the company um, January 18, which has made a big difference to us and um, to Laura, my wife and I, and, to, and we've invested some of that money in terms of building this new yard we're in now and so on. So I mean, I'm very proud of that. I mean, it's an incredible success story, um, obviously nothing to do with racing. Yeah,
1: But by uh, just reading about it, it sort of struck me as that you're somebody with that restless mind, that even when you were a very busy doctor, you were thinking about, oh, well, what's, what's wrong there? What can I do to help that? What, what, how, could I, how can I make this a success? How, is there a gap there
0: in the market that I can exploit? Is that you as a person? Yes, and also, you know, I'm, I suppose I'm quite driven to to achieve, and, and, and um, I, you know, I think if if you want to be successful commercial you've got to seek to do it you know i, I specifically Knew that I wanted to set something up. So I was then looking for the opportunities. And then if you start looking, you might find them. And, and then, but also, most, as anyone who's worked in business knows, that you, the idea is only a small part of it, really. Uh, you know, that you, good to have a nice idea, but it's not about just finding a magical idea. It's about actually executing, putting yeah. the team together, working with it. And you start often in these business ideas, you start thinking, doing, you're going to make all your money doing this, but actually a little while later, you're doing that. Uh, but you've got to be in it to win it.
1: What's been the what's been the most successful venture that you've you, you've undertaken? Was it the was it the care home venture or, or something subsequent? Probably that.
0: Um, set up a, uh, an anorexia centre which became the um, the the largest independent inpatient treatment unit yeah. for young people with anorexia in the country, with a CQC care quality commission uh, regulator at our regulator's uh, assessment of outstanding which is quite unusual in that sector, that, but that business has been sold now uh, but st- and still doing well. I'm pleased, uh, pleased to report. And do you take greater satisfaction from something where you can meaningfully see the results,
1: see the, the fruits of, of the labour that your team have put in?
0: I, I love setting things up. We all love success, uh, uh, but I love working with teams of people. Recruiting teams of people. My, my secret weapon, really, in, in business is that I'm lucky that my wife is a brilliant HR uh, specialist, in, particularly in recruitment, doing psychometric interviews and so on. And our best, all my business has been pretty people-rich, a lot, a lot of people. And the key thing is to get the right people in your team, if you can, and then look after them well and work with them. And, and actually, it's no different with the racing. In the sense, I'm, I'm I'm lucky. I've got a great assistant trainer, uh, Rod Trow, who who works part time in the racing, but we we're great mates really, and uh, we share up some of the responsibilities. But I've recruited recently a new yard manager, Wayne Jones, who's a fantastic asset now as we've got bigger, new secretary, new, and and you know, in the same and the same we would we also do telephone psychometric interviews, and some of the staff that come and join us as um, stable lads and lasses.
1: That is interesting, and yeah. I would imagine there aren't too many trainers who would deploy HR methods from outside the industry yeah. to to the systems within it. I'm going to say, would you, would you advocate that more people operate along those lines? But I imagine the answer would be no, I want to do it all myself. <laughs>
0: Well, I, I just look. We're just using that we're lucky enough in the sense that we got those commercial skills, Laura and I, between us, so mm. that we, it, we we're going to try and use them to get the best team we can. So, um, yeah, other people have other strengths that they no doubt bring to the table.
1: And when you began training under a permit, I mean, you had instant and high-profile success. Overstrand won the big hurdle over Christmas time at Sandown Park was then the William Hill handicap hurdle which was a big race in those days and Burn Oak Boy in the Coral Cup in the same season was just ridiculously impressive he'd won a prep race for you and you'd taken him from a a, a zero who'd who'd lost his last 33 races to a a Cheltenham festival hero and everyone's saying well
0: how is this guy doing this so what was the secret to your success early? well, first of all, we didn't know what to expect. Um, so when, when I had our first um, first run, I had a three horse, a little horse called Excellence, who mm. I'd owned, and Philip Hobbs had trained him, and he lost his way a little bit. I mean, been very successful. Philip won ten races with him. Um, and when when we got him and ran him the first, I do remember thinking genuinely, I, I must run this horse quickly because um, while Philip's training is still in him, because mm. we didn't know what was going to happen. So it was wonderfully exciting to see how it did happen. But I guess the one thing that hasn't changed for me is that the, the, the two horses you mentioned, Overstrand and Burntote Boy, have both shown good ability, but they both kind of lost their way. And they, um, we identified them or identified them as horses that would be interesting buys. That we know that the, the raw ability is there. But have they lost it forever yeah. or could it come back? And both of them fitted that bracket. So they were both £10,000 purchase and they both went over 100000 in their first season. So it was, it, And that gives you confidence. To start, the, well, we're doing something right here. So presumably, or I can presume that these were two horses
1: who came to you with physical ailments or aches and pains or something you had to iron out. Was,
0: did anything manifest itself, obviously, or not? Um, they uh, no, no. I wouldn't say it was that particularly. I just think they both went through the sale ring. Um, I think they were just in yards that weren't doing particularly well at the time, but actually they were showing glimmers of ability within it, yeah. which is really, I guess, what I'm looking for. Because, you know, um, so they weren't, they weren't actually running terribly, but they were just weren't not running to the level that they had been. And, of course, the lucky thing, if you, get, if you do get a horse and turn around like that, it's probably well handicapped as well. So, and if, you get, so if you put all that together, uh, it may not work, but if it does work, you can get a, an affordable uh-huh. horse... Well handicapped, that are capable of a good standard.
1: You obviously have to get them mentally in the right place. And you, yeah. you said you you've said that you free range train, yeah, yeah. and you you, yeah. you give them a lot of time out, yeah. Yeah. which yeah. a lot of trainers say. In fairness, is that something you still you still a- go
0: by? Absolutely, we do uh, believe it quite passionately that it's not just we get them super super fit. We hope, uh, but at the same time we have a lot of turnout, and we've just uh, as you know moved to this new yard. Um, we've got a hundred. 120 acres there. A lot of times, been spent building. We've got paddocks now scattered all around, so that all these horses are said are turned out in pairs most of the day when Mm. they're not, uh, when they're not whizzing up the gallops. Um,
1: And what in your, in your learning or your background informed you to do that? What made you think this is the way I I should do this? Uh,
0: I mean. uh, I suppose what happened is, what happened is you know, um, that's the way we'd always treated horses anyway. So before doing the racing, whether yeah. you, it's your hunter or your eventer or whatever, most people would want to turn their horses out. It's natural for a horse to, to graze. It's natural for a horse to be turned out. So I, my sort of rationale is uh, start from the basis that a racehorse is a horse and try and treat that horse well. Um, however, over time, I've become... More convinced that it's uh, it's a big contributor to Im- improving a horse turning, t- turning the horse round. I mean, a good example is the issue about gastric ulcers. We mm-hmm. know that racehorses, people have done surveys showing that sometimes up to ninety percent of racehorses have gastric ulcers. But if you think about a horse, if if horses are stuck in their boxes all day long, um, they're not allowed. They're designed to graze like a cow. They're not allowed to graze because they're stuck in their box. We then cut the hay back. Uh, because we want them to eat the high protein food that we're trying to give them Mm -hmm. that they're not really designed to have. Um, And we give them all this uh, high protein food. And uh, so they're not having completely the wrong diet. And And they're they're
1: eating eating too quickly.
0: Well, it's not. I wonder, yeah, I, I just think that a horse needs its roughage. That's mm-hmm. what it's supposed to have, it's that's what it's been designed to have. Uh, so if we stop all that, we, they're on the wrong diet, if you like. But then if you add the fact that uh, horses are a pack animal. So if you've got horses stuck in boxes together, one will very often be bullying another one. So if you put a sort of uh, boarding school type uh, assessment, this uh, little lad being bullied in the corner on the wrong diet. Uh, what, not really a surprise that they start getting ulcers and feeling pretty miserable. So our way of dealing with that is turnout. Let them graze. Let them graze. And so we, we're not. And, and some people would worry about, oh, they're going to have too much and they're not, It doesn't seem to be a problem to us at all. You know, they feed well. They, you know, we don't have problems with them not eating their high protein food. But it, I'm sure that the well being factor from turning these horses out um, is, is a big part of turning these horses round.
1: And, and was that
0: learned, or was that in part from your
1: from your medical background, essentially that you understood animal physiology a little bit
0: better, perhaps than your, some of your counterparts? Yeah, well, I, I suppose um, I would say learned. I think it's part we, we we adopted a method that has worked for us, and we've not deserted it. But but equally, you do tweak things, you change things, and training methods and things. And I, I suppose i certainly be someone who would challenge assumptions. I mean, one thing I've said, a lot of, a lot of things in, in... If you come from a medical background, everyone's obsessed about what's the evidence base for mm. this. Where's the actual evidence? And um, I, I know we, we're talking, when you're talking um, later on to Huey that uh, that discussion will probably come out. But um, in racing, one of the things is... A, a lot of things there's not a lot of evidence for. Yeah. So, so a lot
1: of it's anecdotal. Anecdotal. So you're told, we do things like this because this is the way things have always been done. Yeah,
0: and then it's pretty hard. If you're, if, you're, if you're studying as a racehorse trainer and your dad has been the trainer and your grandfather has been trainer, no, son, you do it this way, we've always done it this way. It's quite hard to sort of rip it up and start again uh, or blank sheet of paper. I'm lucky that I've come in with a complete blank sheet of paper in a sense of uh, and didn't have that background. In some ways, that can be an advantage. Has anyone ever likened you to Martin Pike? Well, I've, I've heard people say that, and, but I, that is, to me, the most hugest form of flattery possible because um, Martin, who got a lot of grief at the time uh, when he was training, but absolutely changed racehorse training, I don't I think there's any doubt about that, was phenomenally successful um, and um, I, I'm a huge admirer.
1: The reason I say that is because any reading you do about Martin, any time you, mm. you talk with him and have done over the over the last couple of decades, it's his thirst for knowledge. It's his quest to know more about the horse and yeah. how to get the best out of the horse, yeah. and that very much shines through on what you're saying. Yeah,
0: and I think if if, if Martin uh, Pipe had not been a horse race trainer, he would have been very successful in whatever he did. Yeah, because he what was, he's applying the skills to what he's doing and he'd have just applied it to something different Um, but obviously hugely effective in doing it in racing
1: have you always been imbued with a I will succeed no
0: matter what (laughs) mindset I didn't think of it in those terms but um, I I think I'm I'm a fairly driven competitive individual so I I I, you know I I wouldn't be happy not doing well if you like and where does
1: that where does that come from is that something you're just born with or is that something that is it comes from experience?
0: I don't think. It's, I mean, I don't think it's experience. No, I think. I mean, these these are the, the sort of the, your genetic drivers come probably from your family and your parents and your upbringing and so on. So um, I don't know. It's I've always I've always it was always been instilled in me that achievement. You, you, you know, you you need to achieve. You need to do well or whatever. And I, I've been lucky enough to be given the opportunities to do that.
1: Do you? Do you set the same exacting standards for your own children or are you a complete soft touch?
0: <laughs> um, it doesn't my wife always, probably it doesn't sets higher standards than me, me, me. I've got three wonderful daughters and they are doing all doing incredibly well, actually. So I'm very, very proud of all of them. Um, whether that comes in sort of subtle messages, I, I, w- I would hope I'm not sort of... Uh, I mean, I wouldn't have been happy if I didn't feel they were, you know, pushing themselves hard to do well, but, I'm, you know, th- they're, they're all... Incredible people in their own rights. Yeah, you don't wear that sort of drive heavily. It's quite a skill, isn't it, to
1: be to appear to be quite relaxed yet inside to be incredibly driven.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm. Um, I, I, it, drive is an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, I guess you know if you've got it and it's in you, it burns away and it, it keeps you going to do the next thing. Are you one of those trainers though who can take defeat well? I mean, I can take defeat well, but I'm competitive. I'll be disappointed uh, if, if, particularly if a horse underperforms, as far as I'm concerned, then I will be, uh, you know, I won't, I will be open with my disappointment. But, you know, can I be magnanimous in defeat? Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, yeah. But you will always try and rationalise the defeat.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go and think about it. And, um, you know, um, one of the things now is that we're training about 50 horses or mm. whatever. Um, and that's a lot more than we did. But, Famous last words, of course, if you haven't been sprayed, Do I want to train 150, 200? No. Because I think it, it, it's, a, it's quite a big job. I spend quite a long time, every single horse, trying which race are we going to run in, where are we going to enter. I spend hours and hours and hours doing it.
1: What were you like as an owner? Because I want to do well for them. Mm. What were you like as an owner? When you had a horse um, with, with prob- Probably
0: a bloody know-all, I think. I, actually, we had, a, we had a joke once with Ian Williams, who I know well. Because <laughs> we had a horse that was with Ian. And when Burn Boy won, uh, as you mentioned, the Cheltenham Festival, Ian, I saw him in the car park the next day. He said, Ian said to me, you know all those times when you kept telling me we should run here and here and here and I just completely ignored you? I should have listened, he said. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I, I, Ian and, and I, I did he, on well. He's Ian's a, pretty a handy brilliant handy trainer. Trainer, yeah. Brilliant trainer. But no, I mean, he was teasing me. But, so I think I probably would have been one of those know-all owners that thought I knew, why don't we run him here, why don't we run him there? But you know, it's just enthusiasm. And it's lovely actually when you do have owners that do care that much because it just shows they really love the sport and they're really uh, committed. And hopefully you, I try and work with them so that we can make a joint decision as to what we do. So are, have you had to go out and, and,
1: and drive for more
0: owners or have you found people coming to you because the numbers look so good? Um, I think uh, people are coming to us, which is lovely, uh, And uh, but it's very important the messaging you know, has to change from us, and I've been aware of that, because the message before was, um, look, it's a small, a bit of a, like a private shop, mm-hmm. because he only has 20 boxes. I mean, we've been lucky that really all our boxes have been full for years now, and we've been juggling horses, but by expanding the number of boxes now, it gives us the opportunity to take more, more horses, and um, so I think uh, people are realising now. Hopefully that you know we're 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 a full open license yard like everybody else, and and my principal job now is as a racehorse trainer. Mm-hmm. It's not as a business guy. How does that make you feel? Um, getting used to it. Yeah, and it feels good. I mean, it's um, but but equally, the, the thing about racing, unlike all those other things, is I can go to work in a healthcare, the healthcare business. And I could have a, a rubbish day and do be a poor day, and nobody knows about it. Mm. Um, in racehorse training, it's results, and everybody knows about it. And they know we, we, and you, when you walk into the local post office, and somebody you don't even know says, Oh, we're having a tough time now, or Oh, it's going well. It's lovely when it's going well, but I think a lot of trainers feel the pressure that this is a results business. And so, um, you know, it's, it's slightly different. Well, your results have been exceptional in the last few seasons
1: and uh, the most striking thing I think is the strike rate which continues to climb up from 2015 19 21 23 24 26 as you increase runners increase the capacity of your stable to maintain a strike rate is one thing but to increase it is quite another thing how mu- how important to you is that right hand column
0: um it is important um it will go down a bit through the winter period, and that's just the nature of the horses we're training. Mm. So we, we do as much in the summer as we do in the winter. And that's, the nature of the competition that's coming out against you. The nature of the competition obviously goes up, but also then if you're a... a um, a yard of our size, the winter, some of the winter horses are being prepared for Cheltenham or big races which are devilishly difficult to win but obviously we like to have a go if we can. So um, inevitably we'll have less runners probably in the winter, slightly less runners in the winter than the summer and inevitably I think that percentage will go down a bit when we're targeting bigger races. Mm-hmm.
1: And obviously when you started it must have been it must have been a bit of a dream really. You're you're starting out with a couple of horses, they're winning big races, you're having a lot of fun, your family are involved, you are essentially training for your family. It's a totally different enterprise now. You're you're sucked into the whole web of the sport. Is it as fun now for you as it was then?
0: Um I still get a lot of fun from it. I still enjoy it. And and I love, actually, you know, we've got a whole variety of different owners. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky now that um, Simon Maneer and Isaac Suede have sent me a couple of horses, which, you know, again... Um, that's uh, it, by the way. It's not just me, of course. It's Team Newland, the whole yeah. team. Uh, but it's a sign that we're recognised as as being a, a you know a, a high quality yard. Um, but also, I've got a lot of horses with the, with with syndicates and oh. partnerships. We had um, so two two in particular stand out: Foxtrot Racing, Valley Racing Club, uh, Valley I should say. I mean, they were around yesterday on an open morning, um, and I love it when you see. Lots and lots of people coming along, the passion people have for the sport. And they're coming to visit their horses and, and uh, who may only have a 20th chair on a horse. So we've got a variety and, and, and I enjoy that, the passion and the interaction with uh, all the owners. It's good fun. And I love, I love the days out on the gallops, chatting to the lads and lasses, riding out, talking about the horses, making plans, good fun.
1: Can anything ever top the, the victory of Pinot de Rey in the Grand National?
0: Well, another one would be quite nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, that was an amazing day. And, you know, very privileged and lucky to have that. Um, and it, it was, the whole thing couldn't have been better really in the sense that I was very pleased that all my three daughters were there. I'd hated it if one of them hadn't been there. And were they my all wife, up in different daughters, parts of the great country friends. at the time? Yeah, I think I can't remember. I think one of them actually flew in for it. So um, from was in Europe, but um, the, the key thing is they were there and we shared it together. It was magical.
1: And uh, really, an emblem of your of your career in, in a sense. A horse who'd had ability had slightly lost his way or yeah. was kind of surplus to requirements in a big operation, if you yeah. like. Yeah. And. All you had to do was to sweeten him up and convince him that those fences weren't as big as they so, were.
0: So, Nick, the, the, the thing that, um, which I think I'm, you know, I am proud about, but is a challenge in terms of wanting to win bigger races, is that in all the time we've trained, we've never paid £100,000 for a horse. Ever? Always less, no. I've only paid over 50000 three times. In thirteen years, and yeah, I'm they weren't the three best ones. Yeah, yeah, and we've trained over. Yeah, exactly. You're right on that, actually. Uh, but and we've trained, but we've trained over four hundred winners, mm. starting with a small number of boxes and, and building up. So, it. it I mean, Pino is example. You know, he, he wasn't expensive, um, but obviously, it you've just never worked.
1: said how much you paid
0: for him. Uh, <laughs> we paid fourteen thousand pounds for him. One four. Yeah. My word you got it out of me now 10 months uh, ten, ten months ago, uh, earlier yeah yeah i just think of some of the
1: anyway never mind uh, 14000 that's tremendous so how yeah. how did that
0: well cuz he was a 10 year old yeah and but there's a great story about it cuz cuz Barry um Connell. Barry Connell sold him and I believe, I and mean, I was told this afterwards, I met um, the, the Irish handicapper, who unfortunately is now dead, Noel, no, no, uh, Noel O'Brien, Noel O'Brien, who's, a, as you would know, a great character. Yeah, lovely man. Noel came up to one of these Grand National weights, and he said to me, in a great music, he said, grabbed me by them and said, I'm the reason that you won the Grand National. I can just see, I can see him <laughs> now. So, yeah. so, so, I said, oh, that's interesting, what, what he said, he said that, because Peanut de Red stepped up in trip. And he won the Ulster National, and he won it by 20-odd lengths. And rightly, as it turns out, Noel put Pino's handicap right up. And Barry was not impressed. And happy, mm. He said, this horse can never win again in Ireland, and he has to go to oh, England yeah. now. Because he can't win off that handicap mark. So he sold him. And that's when I was lucky enough to pick him up. Wow. He was 10 years old. A lot of people wouldn't buy a 10-year-old. Mm. But I thought it was worth going. But you probably got, you know, if you
1: want a national horse, you've probably still got another season two, yeah. maybe even three to have a... Have a dart,
0: yeah. like abolitionist who has uh, been trying ever since, uh, and runs today. Sandham. He wasn't a very good jumper, de ray I mean, in no, the traditional no. sense, <laughs> no. I, I
1: almost Barry did. If- I
0: think Barry did make a quote immediately afterwards when he was asked. That, uh, they must have made the fences a lot easier at entry, and in a way, of course, he's right. Uh, but you, they have made the fences easier and more forgiving. On the other hand. You've got to stay even yeah, better you have. because it's a flat-out gallop, and, um, and well, a horse like Tiger Roll was showing you know what's required. And he still did make a couple of yeah. interesting errors. I mean, it was a
1: brilliant ride from Leighton Aspel. I mean, that I, th- I thought anyway.
0: Uh, it was a superb ride from Leighton Aspel. So uh, Le- Leighton, obviously, wasn't our normal r- regular uh, uh, jockey, but he had ridden for me a little bit that year. But he was his ride was absolutely superb. A true horseman. Slipping his reins, showing all the he, he, he yeah, he, he was brilliant. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Al Basti Equel Dubai.